0: This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, a delight to be with you this morning and I uh, am really in a state of thinking about how can the gospel address the issues of our times, which is why I want to start with uh, the Beatitudes. There is no more, as Matt said, explicit content to the vision, the mission, the purpose, the calling of Jesus than the Beatitudes. If you want to understand what Jesus was really saying about when heaven would come on earth which through his death and his resurrection after he gave this sermon would be literally the world turning a corner and that reign of God, God's presence coming on earth. If you want to understand it, here it is. This is the statement, the manifesto, the declaration, the vision. Here it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are are the meek, not the bombastic, not the narcissistic. Haven't we got our share of those in world leadership at the moment? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those, and I love this one, pure in heart, for they shall see God. I love it maybe the most of all the Beatitudes because when I ask myself, what do I really want? The answer is, I want to see God. I want to see God. That's actually what I long for. I am taken back to Genesis. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. The whole purpose of creation was to commune with God. Adam and Eve are given responsibilities. Later in Revelation, it's called being kings, sovereigns in partnership with God to name the animals, to cultivate the garden, to flourish. Deep sense of purpose in relationship with God. Adam and Eve are to obey and worship God. Later in Revelation, it's called priests. The Bible says our calling is to be kings those who are sovereign with responsibilities and priests. Priests are those who are the mirror image, if you like, with the image of God in them, offering praise and worship back to God. Made to be kings, made to be priests, made to worship. I think every human being is created to worship. Humans have to worship. What the powers, demonic and evil powers do, is they capture humans' worship of lesser gods, gods of money, gods of sex, gods of power, gods that are not gods. Right there in the beginning, we encountered God, and then there's exile, driven out of The garden, if you follow the story of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, there is this promise to Abraham when three strangers come and visit, these three strangers turn out to be God. They promise that his wife, who's over 90, is going to have a baby. That child and his seed are going to bless the whole world. There is again this promise that the world will be blessed and will know God, encounter God. Well, the rescue project in the Hebrew Scriptures then becomes the children of Israel. Given the law, told to obey it, to be a light unto the nations, to show what it is to actually live under the rule of God, to offer worship and praise to the true God, not idols, not false gods. Yet the rescue project Israel ends up needing rescue. They disobey. They go into exile in Babylon. When they come back out of exile and rebuild the temple, it doesn't feel good. God's presence never is seen in that temple. Whereas God's presence was there at the ark, the ark of the covenant, the micro heaven on earth in the ark. God's presence was there in the first temple, Solomon's temple. The Shekinah glory filled the temple, smoke and glory, and the people encounter God. But after then, even when they come back and rebuild the temple, they're still in exile, though they're back in Jerusalem. The Syrians first dominate them, then the Romans dominate them. God seems absent. They want to see God, encounter God. They know that the end of exile really requires the forgiveness of sins and Jesus comes. Jesus comes in a form they don't recognize as the encounter with God, as the glory laid aside to be take on human form. Here in the beatitudes we pick up this extraordinary breathtaking picture of what it will be like when this reign of God comes in its fullness. And Jesus is saying, it is about to begin. The world is about to turn a corner. It won't recognize it in cross and resurrection, but it is. It's about to begin. So when we go to the Beatitudes, we go to the picture of what salvation is actually all about. I grew up. Believing salvation was just me being saved from hell to go to heaven. I was always puzzled that there was not a lot in the Bible that filled out the picture of heaven. I had a friend who came and spoke to World Vision. He's the screenwriter for Rake, if you've ever seen it. Or um, oh, the other show's gone from me, uh, down uh, Uh, on the Ballerine Peninsula. Anyway, he's he's not a Christian. He said, I support World Vision. I know you're a Christian. I'm not a Christian. Then he said something that shocked me and the rest of our staff. He said, you Christians have to do better with heaven. He said, the thought for me of sitting on a cloud for eternity playing a harp and probably having to do daily Bible classes doesn't really excite me. He was a bit cheeky then. He said, the Muslims at least offer me virgins. <laughs> he got me thinking. There's not a lot in Scripture about what it's like in heaven. What there is a lot in Scripture about, right from the beginning till Revelation, when the nations stream to the New Jerusalem, where God's presence is found. Where there's his light means that you need no sun. Where the city needs no walls because you have no enemies. Where the lion lies down with the lamb. There's a lot in scripture about God's reigning heaven coming to earth. And Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, this is what it looks like. This is what the vision is. This is what you're saved for. Now, I'm very, very grateful that I've been saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, some of you are know it, For by grace am I saved, through faith, not by works. Nothing I do saves me. Grace and faith alone saves me. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 then goes on to Ephesians 10. Saved by grace, through faith, To do good works that God has prepared for you to do beforehand. Ever seen that verse? Not saved by works, saved by grace for works. For works. For manifesting what this reign of God in its fullness will look like and it's begun. It's here. It's now. Well, when we understand the Beatitudes, I think it's an antidote, a protection from the church going into divis- divisive thinking. Some churches say we only must evangelize, as if it's only about getting people saved, so I can book my ticket to the great U2 concert in the sky. I've reserved my place. I'm in. I'm. I'm through. Some others say, well, Christians, it's only about social issues, good works, and we split. It's always been about both. We're living in a world that's full of splits. A world that is sadly turning inwards and re A world that is fearing the other. I've just come back from the US, uh, Washington, D.C., a board I sit on. And What grieved me terribly is the split with the midterm elections in Christians, in churches. White Christians, by and large, voting Trump and Republicans, are saying it's all about Trump and God's anointed him. Black and Hispanic Christians, equally Bible-believing, in fear of what Trump is saying, feeling demonised, attacked because of their skin colour, Because of who they are. You know, the church mustn't split. We're bought with the blood of Jesus. We are the hands and feet of a God who is love, who has saved us by his grace. I wanted to say to the American church, don't go right. Don't go left. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go deeper into Jesus. Our identity is in Him. The picture of heaven on earth is all nations, all languages, all tribes without fear streaming in revelation to the new Jerusalem. That's the picture of God's reign, which has begun. The world has turned a corner because of cross and resurrection. They don't know it, but that's what that future is. This is the message of the Beatitudes. We, therefore, when we go deeper, will be marked by our conversion to the cross, by our commitment in the resurrection to life in all its fullness. It will mean that we will be, by instinct, peacemakers. It will mean that we will be merciful. It will mean that we will have a heart for those who are poor. Those who are poor will be fed. Well, this manifesto, this vision of Jesus, finishes with an interesting set of metaphors. Jesus then says, and if you are to live out this vision, this manifesto, then you must be salt and light. Again, the conservative side of the church and the let's call it progressive side of the church sometimes splits the conservative side of the church loves the image of being salt salt as we know is a preserver you don't need too much of it a small amount of salt is enough to preserve the meat to make the porridge taste good too much ruins it salt is invisible salt preserves families marriages even the nation. Salt is a preserver. Many, maybe on the conservative side of the church, find this as their dominant metaphor, just being salt. It upholds what God has ordained. Now, salt is incredibly important for the stability of systems. Unknown to so many in secular societies, just the work churches do in formation with Sunday schools and youth groups, Teaching values. Boy, do we need them taught. What troubles me in a world of now fault news, alternative truth, is this is a major assault on the very notion of truth. The very notion that you can know anything truthful, that you can know any facts. They will just be spun. I was watching Four Corners on Cambridge Analytica. They're the uh, political manipulators who interfered in the American election because they'd bought over 80 million Facebook likes and dislikes. I was amazed when the CEO, he didn't know he was being secretly taped, it was a sting, was saying openly, don't worry about facts, we just make them up. That's what he said in sending micro-messages to people, we just make the facts up. Then he said, we know more about the people having bought Facebook than they know about themselves. Because of their Facebook likes and dislikes, we know exactly what pushes their buttons. We know more about them than their partners, their girlfriends, their spouses. We know everything about them. So we will micro-target under the radar Perfectly targeted political messages that get their fear or hopes going. And then he said this, humans are only motivated by two things, fear or hope. We know how to manipulate it. When he described knowing more about people than they know about themselves, I thought this is a claim to being God. God is the only one who knows, the deepest parts of my heart, the secrets, the dark secrets, they are claiming omniscience. This is why it's so important for churches to be salt with formation of young people, to say there is truth, there is integrity, to preserve institutions, and we know the breakdown of trust in our institutions, political parties, trade unions, military, churches, all being distrusted, seen to be into spin, not doing what they really say they are going to do. To teach young people, there are things you can trust. There is truth. Salt in this way is incredibly important. It's incredibly important because it recognises every human carries the image of God. That homeless person who's physical lack of infrastructure, a roof over their heads seems to be the problem, the main presenting problem, actually may be suffering as much from mental illness, domestic abuse which has made them homeless, the edge of homelessness is much closer. Even middle class people who felt secure with domestic violence, mental illness can end up on our streets They may be suffering even more than not having physical structure with the indignity that thousands pass them by without even a look. To actually stop, look in their eyes, have a conversation, say God knows your name, I want to know your name, is to recognize the image of God in them. To give them dignity. This is salt. No one's going to give you Australian honours, rewards for this. But this is what Christians do. Upholding dignity. Upholding family. Upholding marriage. Being salt. And of course, if we lose our saltiness, though it's invisible, then that order of dignity and respect starts to crumble away. We end up in our tribes. Tribes That judge our type by postcode and car they drive and educational qualification. Sadly, judge our tribes by gender. In America, it's judging by color. Black and Hispanic Christians off against white Christians. Going left, going right, not going deeper. Salt is invisible, but salt does render the Caesar what is Caesar's. Salt does support the widow, the vulnerable, the downtrodden. We need to maintain our saltiness. Salt that loses its saltiness sees societies crumble. We remain as salt, part of the glue that preserves, that holds it together. I believe this is what Jesus was talking about. The other image that Jesus used was light. Light is often preferred by the progressive side of the church. Light in the world, a strong biblical theme, shining in the di- darkness, is dramatic. You can't hide from light. Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. It's piercing It's uncovering, it's exposing, and it demands reform. When you see the corruption, you've exposed it, you have to act. As part of civil society, going to the G20s, the C20s, civil society 20s an outreach group, I've been part of civil society marching in the streets saying, how come in our first world countries it's entirely optional for the rich to pay tax or not. How come when our taxes are so fundamental to pay for hospitals and schools and infrastructure, some get a leave pass if they're rich because they've got tax havens? How come Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Starbucks, Google, in first world countries were paying virtually no tax? How is that possible? This was light, once it shone, that galvanised the G20 into saying they're right, civil society are right, they may be big donors to us and we may have hidden the fact they're paying no tax, but once the light is exposed, it actually requires clean up. The Bible has wonderful images about the light of God. The light of God that shines not just in the image of God in people, but in the prophetic word. Isaiah 58 says, If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, if you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Beautiful images. Your light will become as bright as noonday. That light will rise in the darkness, shining, seeing the darkness of sin. Sin that's personal, sin that's corporate, shining a light. But Jesus says it's not one or the other. We are to be salt and light because we know this reign of God has begun. We know the picture of the Beatitudes is what heaven on earth will be. That's the bigger picture where we encounter God. I have been part with World Vision in a shining of a light moment over the last three months. Three months ago, World Vision did some polling about kids off Nauru. We found that more than half of Australians had no idea, because our political leaders were telling us lies that there were 117 children still detained on Nauru. Our politicians said, we've got all the kids off Nauru. You don't have to worry about their suffering, indefinite detention. Don't worry. Actually, it wasn't true. We showed pictures of those kids still on Nauru. Though no press are allowed to go to Nauru, through other means, we got pictures of their faces. Two-page spread in the Telegraph not known for being a progressive paper. Even the Telegraph, the Murdoch press, agreed. Whatever we think about border security, locking up kids is never right. This can't be right. We shone a light. Lots of other other partners came in. Micah, that I now lead... Sent some women leaders from Hillsong, Salvation Army, Baptist, Anglican, church leaders. We deliberately decided to send women to see Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton. Why? Because when you're really in trouble, send the women in. (laughs) They went in. They prayed with them. Their tone was beautiful. But they spoke passionately about kids off Nauru, about our aid levels at the lowest level ever in our history. And Australia, a blessed rich nation, giving itself a leave pass in caring for the poor. The dial started to shift, exposing a light, some inside work with Christian women leaders going, touching the hearts of our leaders. Now, there are just 27 children left on Nauru. The government is promising by Christmas, they will all be off. Once a light was exposed, and once Australians said, well, that can't be right, then those in power have to deal with these issues. Jesus said, it's not just one light or salt, it's both. We are, if we are to live out this vision of the reign of God, are to live it out, being salt, in unseen, invisible ways and being light. Neither one, which has sometimes seen more conservative salt, nor the other sometimes seen more radical light, being both together. Not going left, not going right, going deeper, going into Jesus. When I think about the calling on our lives, the calling that started with an encounter with God, responsibility and vocation, And I think about the story that ends. Not in a garden, in a city. Cities, by definition, are cosmopolitan. Lots of different philosophies, lots of different religions competing. The word politics comes from a Greek word, polis. Polis is the Greek word for city. Politics started in the city. Why did politics start in the city? Because politics is about how do we live together? And the answer? We have to compromise. Part of the difficulty with faith, all faiths, is we say, no, faith's absolutely true. We will never compromise because it's absolutely true. This is often, often the problem. Salt says invisibly, we'll just live and hold family, marriages, institutions together. We will be invisible, we know we have to live together, and it involves compromise. Light exposes and says, this is wrong, no compromise, get those kids off Nauru, or whatever the issue may be. But when I think about the story that starts in Genesis and ends in a city of all nations, all languages, I start to go, Christian faith is fundamentally International. Why? Because Jesus, the Son of God, trode, showed us true humanity. He helped us discover our true humanity is we are made for purpose. We are made to be like image-bearer mirrors reflecting praise to God, the true God. That's why worship, which we're engaging in this morning, is so important. That is our calling. Otherwise, we will worship God. Other things. Nothing is surer. This sense of purpose is very important in our Christian discipleship. When I was in year 12, a long time ago, I'm so ancient I didn't study ancient history, I lived through it. (laughs) 1972, I was in year 12. Anyone born then? Not many. 1972. My mother pulled me aside and she said, now Tim, your father and I, we want you to go to university. Back then only about 10% of us did. That means, Tim, this year you're really going to have to study hard. And I thought, oh, well life's like a ladder. The ladder of success, career, the first rung is year 12, getting a good year 12. Well, I had a good year. I talked about Jesus refinding me in year 12, and I did well enough to get into law at Monash University. My parents were so thrilled, they took the whole family out to celebrate at a Chinese restaurant. Number 34, number 21 on the menu, big celebration. After toasts, Tim's got into law, my mother took me aside. She said, now, Tim, your father and I are really proud of you. Fancy getting into law now. Now, Tim, you really have to study hard. And I thought, ah, oh, here's the next rung of the ladder. I said, why? She said, no, well, not everyone who gets a law degree gets a job at the end. Only those with a good law degree. I thought, okay, next rung, getting a good law degree. Had a great time at university. Landed a job, did well enough to land a job, called articles then, your first job, then the next year you're admitted as a barrister and solicitor. My parents were so thrilled when I landed my first job, they took the whole family out to celebrate at the same Chinese restaurant. (laughs) By then I had a younger brother following me doing law at Monash, you would never have heard of him. And after the celebration, my mother took me aside. Fancy getting a job as a lawyer. I can't tell you, she said, how proud your father and I are of you. She said, now, Tim, now that you've got articles, now you're really going to have to work hard. And I said, why? She said, well, not everyone who gets articles gets kept on. Only those that work really hard, the good ones. I thought here's the third rung of the ladder and I could see a whole lot of rungs ahead. Kept on, which I did, become an associate, bigger office, more pay, then another four or five rungs and one day I might be a partner in this law firm. Lovely car, a lot more money, a lot of social esteem. I've made it. This is life, climbing this career ladder, isn't it? Through my Christian faith, through understanding This reign of God that has begun, this purpose that God has called us to, I realize there is another ladder. It's the ladder I would call calling or vocation. The first rung of this ladder is when you say, Why am I here? I remember in urban seed days sitting in the gutter with a heroin addict. We had a drug detox center, we were feeding homeless and heroin addicted. I was trying to convince him to go into our detox center, the first step. I said words that casually rolled off my lips. I said, you know what? I think God made you. I was surprised because he burst into tears. I thought, oh, I shouldn't have said it. He's not religious. I've upset him. Through the tears, he blurted out, God made me. My old man told me I'm just an accident. I've only ever felt unwanted. God made me. Here's this first rung of the calling ladder. So there's a purpose to my life? I'm not here just by accident. I'm not just a biological freak in a cosmic zoo, a random set of atoms that came together. There's a purpose. The next rung of that purpose ladder is when you say, if God made me, why did he make me? What am I meant to do? This is as ancient as the Garden of Eden, when God gave roles and purpose and walked with us. I think it's often a struggle to answer that question. Sometimes it takes time. But in thinking about it, it's saying, "What?" If I don't do it, I'm going to be poorer, and the world is going to be poorer. What if I don't do it, I'm going to be poorer, and the world is going to be poorer? In answering that question, you may come up with various answers. It may be your coaching, your mentoring, your music, your art. It may be a whole range of things that you know God has made you to do, so you're richer and the world is richer. This is finding out how heaven on earth is not simply an escape, as sometimes we preach, to sitting on a cloud playing the harp for an eternity doing daily Bible classes. This is heaven on earth, God's reign, thy kingdom come on earth, thy will be done on earth. This is heaven on earth in God's presence with purpose, made to be creative and fulfill God's purposes. People sometimes say to me, where did you discover your calling? What is it? I say, it's actually out of my faith, the Hebrew prophets, Jesus, Paul. It's actually my purpose. has always been around justice. I think humans are often obsessed with a critical question. I can tell you mine. It started in high school years. It was this. Is poverty natural or is poverty created? If poverty is natural, you can't do much about it. It's nature. Don't don't play with nature. If poverty is created because of the rules we created, where so many get far more than they need and others miss out altogether, then we can shine a light. We can question the rules. We can change those rules. We can act as we did in civil society around the rules of the rich never paying any tax. We can change it. My calling is justice. It's why I did law. I thought law was about justice. I discovered law was mainly about billing and money. It's why I went and planted churches, ran urban seed, ended up at World Vision, my calling is justice people say where did that begin i sometimes tongue-in-cheek say probably sharing a bedroom with my brother for 17 years there's an invisible line down a bedroom when you share a bedroom pity help either of you if his things come into your space space is pretty critical we'd have our fights if it was a weekend wake up my parents dad a wonderful father would storm in always say the same thing He'd say, I don't care who started this fight. I'm not interested in the story. I don't want to hear who you think is to blame. Not interested. I'm punishing you both. And then he would. That's when I got interested in justice. (laughs) I reckon my brother started it more than me. Well, sometimes the ladders perfectly align. Fancy being paid for what you're called to do. I hear teachers and nurses, sometimes cleaners, business people say, I love what I do. It is my being the salt, my being out there in the world. Sometimes the ladders don't perfectly align. You're in a job, but it's maybe pulling you away at times, particularly if you take a promotion and there's less time from the things you're called to do. That coaching, that art, that mentoring, that caring, whatever it might be where your bliss intersects with the world's need. This is the story of God's creation, given a purpose to worship God, to reflect back to him why we were made, our purpose in his world. This is the announcement in the Beatitudes, when heaven comes on earth, this kingdom which has begun in its fullness The poor are filled, the hungry eat, the poor have hope, the meek inherit the earth. And best of all, best of all, the pure in heart will see God. That's what I long for. That vision of God's presence here on earth, that is the good news that my sins are forgiven, that this world is... This world, God has not given up on it. He has a plan. That plan includes you. Discover that purpose. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship, to acknowledge your greatness, your love, your mercy, your creativity. We thank you that in worshipping you, we are grounded we are worshiping that which is true that which is infinite eternal that which is sovereign our god forgive us when we worship lesser gods other idols forgive us when we tribalize when we divide when we go left or right help us to see in jesus that we can go deeper into jesus and As we surrender ourselves again this morning to you, allow us to know your purposes in our life. To be salt, that's invisible, and to be light, to be both salt and light, so that your kingdom may come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.